Christmas Night with Satan by John Fox Jr. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by April 6090, California, United States of America. All that is literature seeks to communicate power. Footnote. De Quincey, Letters to a Young Man. End of footnote. Here the power communicated is that of sympathizing with God's lesser children. The humanitarian story is a long step in advance of the fable. It recognizes the true relations of the animal world to man, and insists that it be dealt with righteously and sympathetically. Christmas Night with Satan No night was this in Hades, with solemn-eyed Dante, for Satan was only a woolly little black dog, and surely no dog was ever more absurdly misnamed. When Uncle Carey first heard that name, he asked gravely, Why, Dinny? Wherein? Hey. Uncle Carey gulped slightly. Did you get him? And Dinny laughed merrily, for she saw the fun of the question and shook her black curls. He didn't come from that place. Distinctly, Satan had not come from that place. On the contrary, he might be a miracle, have dropped straight from some happy hunting ground for all the signs he gave of having touched pitch in this or another sphere. Nothing human was ever born that was gentler, merrier, more trusting, or more lovable than Satan. That was why Uncle Carey said again gravely that he could hardly tell Satan and his little mistress apart. He rarely saw them apart, and as both had black tangled hair and bright black eyes, as one awoke every morning with a happy smile and the other with a jolly bark, as they played all day, like wind-shaken shadows, and each one every heart at first sight. The likeness was really rather curious. I have always believed that Satan made the spirit of Denny's house, orthodox and severe though it was, almost kindly toward his great namesake. I know I have never been able, since I knew little Satan, to think old Satan as bad as I once painted him. Though I am sure the little dog had many pretty tricks that the old boy doubtless has never used in order to amuse his friends. Shut the door, Sadie, please, Dinny would say, precisely as she would say it to Uncle Billy, the butler, and straightaway Satan would launch himself at it. Bang! He never would learn to close it softly, for Satan liked that. Bang! If you kept tossing a coin or marble in the air, Satan would keep catching it and putting it back in your hand for another throw, till you got tired. Then he would drop it on a piece of rag carpet, snatch the carpet with his teeth, throw the coin across the room, and rush for it like mad, until he got tired. If you put a penny on his nose, he would wait until you counted one, two, three. Then he would toss it up himself and catch. Thus, perhaps, Satan grew to love Maman right well, but for another and better reason that he liked simply to throw it around, as shall now be made plain. A rubber ball with a hole in it was his favorite plaything, and he would take it in his mouth and rush around the house like a child, squeezing it to make it whistle. When he got a new ball, he would hide his old one away, until the new one was the worst worn of the two, and then he would bring back out the old one again. If Dinny gave him a nickel or a dime, when they went downtown, Satan would rush into a store, rear up on the counter where the rubber balls were kept, drop the coin and get a ball for himself. Thus, Satan learned finance. He began to hoard his pennies. And one day Uncle Carey found a pile of seventeen under a corner of the carpet. Usually he carried to Dinny all coins that he found in the street. 
but he showed one day that he was going into the ball business for himself. Uncle Carry had given Dinny a nickel for some candy, and as usual, Satan trotted down the street behind her. As usual, Satan stopped before the knick-knack shop. Come on, Sadie, said Dinny. Satan reared against the door as he always did, and Dinny said again, Come on, Sadie. As usual, Satan dropped to his haunches, but what was unusual, he failed to bark. Now Dinny had got a new ball for Satan only that morning, so Dinny stamped her foot. I tell you to tum on, Sadie. Satan never moved. He looked at Dinny as much to, as to say, I've never disobeyed you before, little mistress, but this time I have an excellent reason for what must seem to you very bad manners. And being a gentleman withal, Satan rose on his haunches and begged. You're des a pig, Sadie, said Dinny, but with a sigh for the candy that was not to be. Dinny opened the door, and Satan, to her wonder, it rushed to the counter, put his forepaws on it, and dropped from his mouth a dime. Satan had found that coin on the street. He didn't bark for change, nor beg for two balls, but he got it in his woolly little head, somehow, that in that store a coin meant a ball, though never before nor afterward did he try to get a ball for a penny. Satan slept in Uncle Carrie's room. For of all people, after Dinny, Satan loved Uncle Carrie best. Every day at noon, he would go to an upstairs window and watch the cars come around the corner until a very tall, square-shouldered young man swung to the ground and down Satan would scamper, yelping to meet him at the gate. If Uncle Carrie, after supper and when Dinny was in bed, started out of the house, still in his business clothes, Satan would leap out before him, knowing that he too might be allowed to go. But if Uncle Carrie had put on black clothes, that showed a big, dazzling shirt front and picked up his high hat. Satan would sit perfectly still and look disconsolate, for as there were no parties or theaters for Dinny, so there were none for him. But no matter how late it was when Uncle Carrie came home, he always saw Satan's little black nose against the window pane and heard his bark of welcome. After intelligence, Satan's chief trait was lovableness. Nobody ever knew him to fight, to snap at anything, or to get angry. After lovableness, it was politeness. If he wanted something to eat, if he wanted Dinny to go to bed, if he wanted to get out of the door, he would beg, beg prettily, on his haunches, his little red tongue out and his funny little paws hanging loosely. Indeed, it was just because Satan was so little less than human, I suppose, that old Satan began to be afraid he might have a soul. So the wicked old namesake, with the hoofs and horns, laid a trap for little Satan, and, as he is apt to do, he began laying it early long indeed before Christmas. When Dinny started to kindergarten that autumn, Satan found that there was one place where he could never go. Like the lamb, he could not go to school. So while Dinny was away, Satan began to make friends. He would bark, Howdy do! to every dog that passed his gate. Many stopped to rub noses with him through the fence. Even Hugo the Mastiff, and nearly all, indeed, except one strange-looking dog that appeared every morning at precisely nine o'clock and took his stand on the corner. There he would lie patiently until a funeral came along, and then Satan would see him take his place at the head of the procession, and thus he would march out to the cemetery and back again. Nobody knew where he came from, nor where he went. And Uncle Carey called him the funeral dog, and said he was doubtless looking for his dead master. Satan even made friends with a scrawny little yellow dog that followed an old drunkard around. A dog that, when his master fell in the gutter, would go and catch a policeman by the coat tail, lead the officer to his helpless master, and spend the night with him in jail. 
By and by, Satan began to slip out of the house at night, and Uncle Billy said he reckoned Satan had jeans de club. And late one night, when he had not come in, Uncle Billy told Uncle Carrie that it was powerful slippery, and he reckoned that they'd better send a carriage after him. An innocent remark that made Uncle Carrie send a boot after the old butler, who fled chuckling down the stairs and left Uncle Carrie chuckling in his room. Satan had jeans de club the big club, and no dog was too lowly in Satan's eyes for admission, for no priest ever preached the brotherhood of man better than Satan lived it, both with man and dog, and thus he lived it that Christmas night to his sorrow. Christmas Eve had been gloomy, the gloomiest of Satan's life. Uncle Carrie had gone to a neighboring town at noon. Satan had followed him down to the station, and when the train started, Uncle Carrie had ordered him to go home. Satan took his time about going home, not knowing it was Christmas Eve. He found strange things happening to dogs that day. The truth was that policemen were shooting all dogs found that were without a collar and a license, and every now and then a bang and a howl somewhere would stop Satan in his tracks. At a little yellow house on the edge of town, he saw half a dozen strange dogs in a kennel, and every now and then a negro would lead a new one up to the house and deliver him to the big man at the door who, in return, would drop something into the negro's hand. While Satan waited, the old drunkard came along with his little dog at his heels, paused before the door, looked a moment at his faithful follower, and went slowly on. Satan little knew the old drunkard's temptation, for in that yellow house kind-hearted people had offered fifteen cents for each dog brought to them, without a license, that they might mercifully put it to death, and fifteen cents was the precise price for a drink of good whiskey, just then there was another bang and another howl somewhere, and Satan trotted home to meet a calamity. Dinny was gone. Her mother had taken her out in the country to Grandmother Dean's to spend Christmas, as was the family custom, and Mrs. Dean would not wait any longer for Satan, so she told Uncle Billy to bring him out after supper. Ain't you ashamed of yourself, sir? said the old butler. Keeping me from catching Christmas gifts this day? Uncle Billy was indignant for the negroes begin at four o'clock in the afternoon of Christmas Eve to slip around corners and jump from hiding places to shout, Christmas gift! Christmas gift! And the one who shouts first gets a gift. No wonder it was gloomy for Satan. Uncle Carrie, Dinny, and all gone, and not a soul but Uncle Billy in the big house. Every few minutes he would trot on his little black legs upstairs and downstairs, looking for his mistress. As dusk came on, he would every now and then howl plaintively, after begging his supper, and while Uncle Billy was hitching up a horse in the stable, Satan went out in the yard and lay with his nose between the close panels of the fence, quite heartbroken. When he saw his old friend, Hugo the Mastiff, trotting into the gaslight, he began to bark his delight frantically. The big Mastiff stopped and nosed his sympathy through the fence for a moment and walked slowly on, Satan frisking and barking along inside. At the gate, Hugo stopped, and raising one huge paw, playfully struck it. The gate flew open, and with a happy yelp, Satan leaped into the street. The noble mastiff hesitated as though this were not quite regular. He did not belong to the club, and he didn't know that Satan had ever been away from home after dark in his life. For a moment, he seemed to wait for Dinny to call him back, as she always did. But this time there was no sound, and Hugo walked majestically on, with absurd little Satan running in a circle about him. On the way, they met the funeral dog, who glanced inquiringly at Satan shied from the mastiff, and trotted on. On the next block, the old drunkard's yellow cur ran across the street, 
and after interchanging the compliments of the season, ran back after his staggering master. As they approached the railroad track, a strange dog joined them, to whom Hugo paid no attention. At the crossing, another new acquaintance bounded toward them. This one, a half-breed shepherd, was quite friendly, and he received Satan's advances with affable condescension. Then another came, and another, and little Satan's head got quite confused. They were a queer-looking lot of curs and half-breeds from the Negro settlement at the edge of the woods, and though Satan had little experience, his instincts told him that all was not as it should be, and had he been human, he would have wondered very much how they had escaped the carnage that day. Uneasy, he looked around for Hugo, but Hugo had disappeared. Once or twice Hugo had looked around for Satan, and Satan paying no attention, the Mastiff trotted on home in disgust. Just then a powerful yellow cur sprang out of the darkness over the railroad track, and Satan sprang to meet him, and so nearly had the life scared out of him by the snarl and flashing fangs of the newcomer that he hardly had the strength to shrink back behind his new friend, the half-breed shepherd. A strange thing happened. The other dogs became suddenly quiet, and every eye was on the yellow cur. He sniffed the air once or twice, giving two or three peculiar low growls, and all those dogs, except Satan, lost the civilization of centuries and went back suddenly to the time when they were wolves and were looking for a leader. The cur was lobo for that little pack, and after a short parley, he lifted his nose high and started away without looking back, while the other dogs silently trotted after him. With a mystified yelp, Satan ran after them. The cur did not take the turnpike but jumped the fence into a field, making his way by the rear of houses, from which now and then another dog would slink out and silently join the band. Every one of them Satan nosed most friendly, and to his great joy the funeral dog, on the edge of town, leaped into their midst. Ten minutes later the cur stopped in the midst of some woods, as though he would inspect his followers. Plainly he disapproved of Satan, and Satan kept out of his way. Then he sprang into the turnpike, and the band trotted down it, under flying black clouds and shifting bands of brilliant moonlight. Once a buggy swept past them. A familiar odor struck Satan's nose, and he stopped for a moment to smell the horse's tracks. And right he was, too, for out at her grandmother's, Dinny refused to be comforted, and in that buggy was Uncle Billy going back to town after him. Snow was falling. It was a great lark for Satan. Once or twice, as he trotted along, he had to bark his joy aloud, and each time the big cur gave him such a fierce growl that he feared thereafter to open his jaws. But he was happy for all that, to be running out into the night with such a lot of funny friends, and not to know or care where he was going. He got pretty tired presently, for over hill and downhill they went, at that unceasing trot, trot, trot. Satan's tongue began to hang out. Once he stopped to rest, but the loneliness frightened him, and he ran on after them with his heart almost bursting. He was about to lie right down and die. When the cur stopped, sniffed the air once or twice, and with those same low growls, led the marauders through a rail fence into the woods and lay quietly down. How Satan loved that soft, thick grass, all snowy that it was, and it was almost as good as his own bed at home. And there they lay, how long Satan never knew for he went to sleep and dreamed that he was after a rat in the barn at home, and he yelped in his sleep, which made the cur lift his big yellow head and show his fangs. The moving of the half-breed shepherd and the funeral dog waked him at last, and Satan got up. Half-crouching, the cur was leading the way toward the dark still woods on top of the hill, over which the star of Bethlehem was slowly sinking. 
and under which lay a flock of the gentle creatures that seemed to have been almost sacred to the lord of the star they were in sore need of a watchful shepherd now satan was stiff and chilled but he was rested and had had his sleep and he was just as ready for fun as he always was he didn't understand that sneaking why didn't they all jump and race and bark as he wanted to he couldn't see but he was too polite to do otherwise then as they did and so he sneaked after them and one would have thought he knew as well as the rest the hellish mission on which they were bent out of the woods they went across a little branch and there the big cur lay flat again in the grass a faint bleat came from the hillside beyond where satan could see another woods and then another bleat and another and the cur began to creep again like a snake in the grass and the others crept too and little satan crept though it was all a sad mystery to him again the cur lay still but only long enough for satan to see curious fat white shapes above him and then with a blood-curdling growl the big brute dashed forward oh there was fun in them after all satan barked joyfully those were some new playmates those fat white hairy things up there and satan was amazed when with frightened snorts they fled in every direction but this was a new game perhaps of which he knew nothing and as did the rest so did satan he picked out one of the white things and fled barking after it it was a little fellow that he was after but little as he was satan might never have caught up had not the sheep got tangled in some brush satan danced about him in mad glee giving him a playful nip at his wool and springing back to give him another nip and then away again plainly he was not going to bite back and when the sheep struggled itself tired and sank down in a heap satan came close and licked him and as he was very warm and woolly he lay down and snuggled up against him for a while listening to the turmoil that was going on around him and as he listened he got frightened if this was a new game it was certainly a very peculiar one the wild rush the bleats of terror gasps of agony and the fiendish growls of attack and the sounds of ravenous gluttony with every hair bristling satan rose and sprang from the woods and stopped with a fierce tingling of the nerves that brought him horror and fascination one of the white shapes lay still before him there was a great steaming red splotch on the snow and a strange odor in the air that made him dizzy but only for a moment another white shape rushed by a tawny streak followed and then in a patch of moonlight satan saw the yellow cur with his teeth fastened in the throat of his moaning playmate like lightning satan sprang at the cur who tossed him ten feet away and went back to his awful work again satan leaped but just then a shout rose behind him and the cur leaped too as though a bolt of lightning had crashed over him and no longer noticing satan or sheep began to quiver with fright and slink away another shout rose from another direction another from another drive him into the barnyard was the cry now and then there was a fearful bang and a howl of death agony as some dog tried to break through the encircling men who yelled and cursed as they closed in on the trembling brutes that slunk together and crept on for it is said every sheep-killing dog knows his fate if caught and will make little effort to escape with them went satan through the barnyard gate where they huddled in a corner a shamed and terrified group a tall overseer stood at the gate ten of them he said grimly he had been on the lookout for just such a tragedy for there had recently been a sheep-killing raid on several farms in that neighborhood and for several nights he had had a lantern hung out on the edge of the woods to scare the dogs away but a drunken farmhand had neglected his duty that christmas eve yes sir and dey's just seventeen dead sheep out dere 
said a negro. Look at the little one, said a tall boy, who looked like the overseer, and Satan knew that he spoke of him. Go back to the house, son, said the overseer, and tell your mother to give you a Christmas present I got for you yesterday. With a glad whoop, the boy dashed away, and in a moment dashed back with a brand new thirty-two Winchester in his hand. The dark hour before dawn was just breaking on Christmas Day. It was the hour when Satan usually rushed upstairs to see if his little mistress was asleep, if he were only at home now, and if he only had known how his little mistress was weeping for him amid her playthings, and his two new balls and a brass-studded collar with a silver plate on, which was his name, Satan Dean. And if Dinny could have seen him now, her heart would have broken, for the tall boy raised his gun. There was a jet of smoke, a sharp clean crack, and the funeral dog started on the right way at last toward his dead master. Another crack, and the yellow cur leaped from the ground and fell kicking. Another crack and another, and with each crack a dog tumbled, until little Satan sat on his haunches amid the writhing pack alone. His time has now come. As the rifle was raised, he heard up at the big house the cries of children, the popping of firecrackers, tooting of horns and whistles, and loud shouts of Christmas gift, Christmas gift. His little heart beat furiously. Perhaps he knew just what he was doing. Perhaps it was the accident of habit. Most likely Satan simply wanted to go home. But when the gun rose, Satan rose too, on his haunches, his tongue out, his black eyes steady, and his funny little paws hanging loosely, and begged. The boy lowered the gun. Down, sir! Satan dropped immediately. But when the gun was lifted again, Satan rose again, and again he begged. Down, I tell you! Satan dropped obediently. This time Satan would not down, but sat begging for his life. The boy turned. Papa, I can't shoot that dog! Perhaps Satan had reached the stern old overseer's heart. Perhaps he remembered suddenly that it was Christmas. At any rate, he said gruffly, Well, let him go. Come here, sir. Satan bounded toward the tall boy, frisking and trustful, and begged again. Go home, sir. Satan needed no second command. Without a sound, he fled out the barnyard, and as he swept under the front gate, a little girl ran out of the front door of the big house and dashed down the steps, shrieking, Sadie! Sadie! Oh, Sadie! But Satan never heard. On he fled across the crisp fields, leaped the fence, and struck the road lickety-split for home, while Dinny dropped sobbing in the snow. Hitch up a horse quick, said Uncle Carry, rushing after Dinny and taking her up in his arms. Ten minutes later, Uncle Carry and Dinny, both warmly bundled up, were flying after Satan. They never caught him until they reached the hill on the outskirts of town. Where was the kennel of the kind-hearted people, who were giving painless death to Satan's four-footed kind? and where they saw him stop and turn from the road. There was divine providence in Satan's flight for one little dog that Christmas morning. For Uncle Carey saw the old drunkard staggering down the road without his little companion, and a moment later both he and Dinny saw Satan nosing a little yellow cur between the palings. Uncle Carey knew that little cur, and while Dinny was shrieking for Satan, he was saying under his breath, Well, I swear, I swear, I swear. And while the big man who came to the door was putting Satan into Dinny's arms, he said sharply, Who brought that yellow dog here? The man pointed to the old drunkard's figure turning a corner at the foot of the hill. I thought so. I thought so. He sold him to you for, for a drink of whiskey. The man whistled. Bring him out. I'll pay his license. So back went Satan and the little cur to Grandmother Dean's. And Dinny cried when Uncle Carrie told her why he was taking the little cur along. 
with her own hands she put satan's old collar on the little brute took him to the kitchen and fed him first of all then she went into the breakfast room uncle billy she said severely didn't i tell you not to let sadie out yes miss denny said the old butler didn't i tell you i was going to whoop you if you let sadie out yes miss denny miss denny pulled forth from her christmas treasures a toy riding whip and the old darky's eyes began to roll in mock terror i'm sorry uncle billy but i des got to whoop you a little let uncle billy off denny this is christmas all white said denny and she turned to satan in his shining new collar and innocent as a cherub satan sat on the hearth begging for his breakfast end of christmas night with satan by john fox jr <laughs>